0: Welcome to first reading, the old textment, the old textment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's allowed.
0: <laughs> you should you should keep that one in there, the old textment. Ah, take two. Welcome to first reading, the Old Testament Lectionary Podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, and I teach biblical studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University in Ohio. This week we have a special treat. We've got a guest host filling in for Rosie and Tim. Paul Esa is a PhD student in the wonderful Hebrew Bible program at Yale University. You'll hear from his voice that he's not a native of New Haven, Connecticut. Paul is actually from Ghana in West Africa, but has been doing his graduate education in the United States. Paul is a really smart scholar and a wonderful human being, and we are so happy to have you with us, Paul, and excited to hear about your insights on the first reading this week.
1: Thanks, Rachel. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Awesome. So the first reading for January 29th is Micah 6, 1 through 8. And that's kind of a bumper sticker excerpt from Micah. At least that verse 8 is pretty famous. So where are you going to go with this one?
1: Well, uh, let's begin right there. The, the Micah chapter 6, verse 8 passage. Then we will zoom out to look at what came right before it and after it. Then even wider to look briefly at the, the book as a whole. Uh, so the text itself reads this way. It says, he has told you, O oh mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Mm, so pretty. for passages like this, I like to pay attention first to who is speaking, who is being spoken to, and what is being said. So mm. first, who is speaking? Note that the whole thing is a reportage, mm. as all prophetic messages. There is a prophet who does the speaking on behalf of the deity. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, Here, Micah is speaking on behalf of an anonymous he, which we can bet for many reasons is God.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. To whom? To Adam, to humans, humanity, or mortals. Mm. Uh, But that is only what the immediate literary context suggests. Just a little after verse 8, the entire city of Judah is mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is, you know, verse 9 of chapter 6. And the wealthy of Judah, too, is mentioned in verse 12 of chapter 6. Even before that, my people, maybe Mm. all of Judahites or Israelites, not very clear. Mm. Uh, They are also mentioned in the story. So looking broadly through the entirety of the book, different messages are given to different people. But Mm. the recurring recipients are Judah's political and religious leaders.
0: Oh, I think that's a point that we cannot emphasize enough. I, you know, I think there's a wonderful tendency to take the Bible, especially the prophetic text and read it as to us as individuals in relationship with God, but they really carry so much more depth and richness when we keep in mind that original context of the leadership, the political and the religious leadership. So great first point. What, What do you want to say about what is said to those folks?
1: Well, two things. Uh, so, it's what is good and what God requires of Adam. Mm. Uh, good here is the word tov. Uh, it mm. is used here to point to like ethical deeds than it is of descriptive, you know, things like, you know, what is nice aesthetically. Mm. And what is required is from the word like requires is from the word doresh. It's a participle from the root darash, which means to seek, or search, or to require of a So what good exactly is required? The later half of the passage points to those things. And those things are justice, love, which is really hesed, and I'll talk Mm. about that in a minute, Um, and to walk with your God in humility. So Mm. let me highlight each one a little bit. Justice, which is from the word mishpat, is a very common Hebrew word, especially in prophetic culture. It mm. appears somewhere close to 500 times in biblical Hebrew, and about <laughs> half of that is within the prophetic house
0: Wow, I didn't know that. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it means something like acting for equity and for what is fair on behalf of the most vulnerable and exploited of society.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, now, that is not just an acknowledgement of what is right, but an active involvement in fixing what is wrong in the first
0: place. Mm, nice.
1: Uh, often, mishpat is followed by another very popular word in biblical Hebrew, Hebrew prophecy in general, which is tzedek, like mm. righteousness. But here, we don't see tzedek. We don't see that. Instead, mm. we see another truly unique word, which is chesed. Mm. The NRSB mm. chooses kindness for it, but hased really means something like a cocktail, a blend of you know, love, loyalty, and
0: kindness. A cocktail. That's a fantastic way to describe Chesed. Because you cannot, like, you can't drink a cocktail without all of its component pieces, right? Exactly. But when you put them all together, it's something more than just the addition of all the singular parts. So oh, true. a cocktail oh, true. of love, loyalty, and kindness. I'd drink that one. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> so what about the walking with God humbly part?
1: Well, I love biblical imagery. And the mm-hmm. phrase to walk humbly with God evokes an image of a literal walking with God, and say like a God holding hands, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. But it truly represents a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Even more fascinating is the requirement for humility, and the word for that is is tana, right? It's a very rare. Mm-hmm. B- Let me go back again. Even more fascinating is the requirement for humility, and the word for that is, is tana. It's, tana is a very rare Biblical Hebrew word. Uh, it appears just twice in Biblical Hebrew here in Micah and in Proverbs. Mm-hmm. In Proverbs, it refers to a group of people who, because of their lowly, sim- simple, humble way of living, they possess chokmah, which is a mm-hmm. popular word in Proverbs, wisdom. And So suddenly, Tana, humility here is used antithetically to haughtiness and and pride.
0: Mm, Nice, and again, if you're keeping in mind to whom this is uh, speaking, this is addressing, it makes that point so much more important, doesn't it? Because if the point of verse eight is that, according to the prophet Micah, God expects from Judah's religious and political leaders what is tov, what is good. Yet what is good is not up to them to decide, it is defined by God. And that is justice, chesed, and a humble walk with God in the garden.
1: That's right. That's right. Not though that verse 8 is a question. It's a a rhetorical question. In other words, a question to which an answer is not expected. Mm. So my good guess is that these divine requirements are not entirely new to this community. Mm. They know or should know from past interactions with God. That's This really is only but a stern reminder. And speaking of rhetorical questions, it begins from verse 6.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if we back up then, verses 6 to 7 is the section with all the questions about how to come before God or or how do you approach God. And it lists some interesting options. Uh, Number one, is it with the most pleasing burnt offering? Number two, a young calf? A number three, a thousand rams. Number four, huge dams of oil. Or number five, a firstborn child.
1: That's right. Interesting. Yep. (laughs) The firstborn child thing is is weird. It perhaps signals that some people in ancient Judah thought that sacrificing a firstborn child on a literal altar to God was acceptable, Mm. just as their neighbors did to their gods. But we don't have time to get into all that jazz. (laughs) Uh, But you're right, Rachel, verse 6 to 7 seems a lot like, you know, trivia on Torah, construed in a liturgical format, right?
0: Jeopardy, biblical jeopardy. Jeopardy,
1: biblical jeopardy, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) With all these questions, it is expected that anyone living in Jesus at the time should know the answer to, you know, some of these questions, which is like, Mm -hmm. how do you come before God? Again, they aren't questions inviting a response, but rather provoking a thought to action. Mm. More importantly, these preceding questions situate verse eight within a literary context that highlights its meaning a lot better, right? Mm. Which is, far from a ritualistic display of pity before God is the need for justice or hesed in a humble walk with God.
0: Yeah. And I think that's also a place where it can be helpful to remember the context of these letters, because I think so often these verses have been taken and like tried to juxtapose ritualistic piety versus a kind of an intentional heart Mm -hmm. love of God, which is, you know, our typical, or at least my typical traditions, Protestant way of doing it. But I think what's so when you read the broader context of these, these prophets, it's like, no, 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 those rituals were being used in order to violate Torah and in order to take advantage of people. So it's not that one is better than the other. It's that God says, do not use my perfect good Torah in order to violate the Torah itself. Right.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. But but, you know, let's let's step out of chapter six for a minute. Mm -hmm. A message like this always signals a bigger, you know, social political problem, as we began to allude to. And surely, this was the case in Judah at the time of Micah's prophecy. Although Mm -hmm. God cares about ritual, painting, it looks as though in prophetic literature broadly, the focus is more on the way people live with each other and especially for leaders, how they use power. Remember, uh, Micah is one of the four great 8th century prophets. All four of them centered their message on exposing injustice and inequity. Mm. Because Micah was from among the people, a rural peasant himself, he was able to see and understand the pressure and effects of the policies, uh, the leaders of his time, and he sternly confronted them with prophetic passion.
0: Mm. So prophecy on behalf of the people by one who is from the people themselves, right? Yeah. That's a really beautiful example of the power of representation, of perspective, and and of speaking as one who has experienced what the vulnerable in society have experienced themselves.
1: That's right. That's right. Mm.
0: Wonderful. So, okay, how how would you suggest people preach this? What are some angles you might suggest?
1: So for a famous passage like this, there's a lot. There's a lot yeah. that can be said. There's a lot that has already been said, mm. uh, some of which we have highlighted, obviously. Uh, the message of justice is very key, so I wouldn't escape that. Mm. Also, the juxtaposition uh, of religious piety versus the emphasis on social justice, on Hesed and a humble relationship with God is truly powerful. Mm. Yet, if I were to preach this passage among my people, Knowing all the things that I know about them, I would draw on Micah's life and prophetic work to clarify what prophecy is, what it is not, and what it does.
0: Uh,
1: This is important because for many, prophecy is this deeply spiritual way of accessing hidden knowledge from God. Mm. Knowledge that when reached help solve all of our problems in an instant mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. they use prophecy as a tool to dissolve uncertainty in life and you know how mm-hmm. we humans are so obsessed with being in control and knowing all things mm-hmm. you know, we want to know the future of our finances whether we will have children or not whether whether or not our favorite political leader will win <laughs> the election you know that kind of thing and we use prophecy for these kinds of things uh, performed with a huge emphasis on knowledge i see this i see that this is going to happen no Mm. doubt that other parts of the bible have definitions of prophecy that leans towards revelation of the future Mm. but in this sense uh, and indeed prophecy as the majority of the hebrew bible expounds, is less about knowing all things and more about being a god-sent critic
0: Mm.
1: Uh, bob Wilson, uh, who thought biblical prophecy here at yale for many years he thought that prophetic literature or prophetic texts are through and through texts that deal with society. Mm-hmm. It's about analyzing society, the social, cultural, political, economic dimensions of it, and calling out existing policies, practices, and systems, etc., that perpetuate unfairness and injustice. Like Micah, prophecy is a fearless speech on behalf mm-hmm. of the most vulnerable of society. Mm-hmm. That is certainly not the safest job on earth because, you know, this kind of thing attracts a lot of enemies, attracts a lot of threats. You know, in our day, it would attract a lot of social media attention from people yeah. in power. <laughs> but that risk is exactly what my exemplifies and invites us. to. So hmm. I hope the preachers out there, among all that could be said about this passage, will take the chance to shed some light on what prophecy is and what it is not.
0: Oh, yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to use this text, especially one that's so familiar, you know, and has been used to really talk about my relationship with God. Um, But to broaden that, to let it kind of breathe a little bit. Well, that seems like a great place to end for this week. Paul, thanks so much for jumping in and giving us such a a helpful take on a famous text.
1: Uh, You're welcome, Rachel. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Did too. This was awesome. Friends, that'll do it for first reading this week. Remember that you can find an episode on many of the past episodes, well, all of the past episodes in the lectionary and some extras just because we're fun. Use our search box on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. Like it there, poke around a little bit. We've got some merchandise. We've got a nice big donate button that will help us keep the podcast going. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get podcasts, and we would really appreciate it if you could take just 30 seconds, leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you find us. That helps us get the word out to new listeners, to grow our community. And of course, if your grandma needs something to do, share this episode with her. You know she would love it. Thanks for taking the time to do that. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren.
1: And I'm Paul Essa. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.